You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hi there and welcome. Today's guest is one of the best, one of my best. Joff, or Fadu Baby, as I call him, is the youngest of two boys and raised on the bayou in South Louisiana. His actual name is Clint Joffrion. I'll tell you why I call him Fadu Baby in just a minute. First, Clint is a certified nuclear medicine technologist with nine years of clinical experience. He's now working in radiotherapeutic sales, though currently furloughed which is something we talk about. Badu was my teammate and roommate in college, along with Matt Ori, a name you might recognize from previous episodes. My nickname for Clint comes from Ja Rule. When he would come up to bat, I would yell, Fadu, baby! <laughs> and that was my best Ja Rule impersonation. You remember Ja? Early 21st century, teamed up with a Shawnee to put out banger after banger. <laughs> Big beef with Eminem, that Ja Rule. In today's episode, we cover a lot. We discuss Extreme Ownership, a book by Jocko Willink. We talk about what makes for a disciplined individual and how sleep factors into the equation. Clint shares stories of the emotional impact of working at MD Anderson Cancer Center. We talk about the prosperity of our times relative to our parents' era. We reminisce about the ways we we use technology in college versus how it's used today. How it wasn't cool to text with other dudes. (laughs) Texting was something you did only with chicks back then. So we have fun talking about technology overall and how it's changed the way that we communicate. In fact, Clint carried a pager and his nephew, who's now in college, was like, what is that? Can you talk to it? (laughs) So it's fun to talk about pagers. I'll share a funny story about when I carried a pager after a quick word from our sponsor. Why buy when you can rent an item from someone in your neighborhood with Idle? It's easy. You have an item, you list that item for rent, Another app user is looking for that item and rents it from you, and you get paid. Rent everything you need, when you need it, in a location close to home. Get the app today. Visit G-E-T-I-D-L-E dot com. Idle. Rent anything. So I had a pager when I was 15, and back then I had a thing for older babes, so I'd meet it these 19, 20 year old college honeys on the weekend (laughs) and they would page me while I was sitting in algebra class. So every day at school, I'd carry a pocket full of quarters so that I could make phone calls if I was paged. Of course, I didn't let these ladies know that I was a sophomore in high school. But one day, I'll never forget, I get a beep. I tell the teacher I'm going to go to the restroom and it must have been like 1.30 in the afternoon. And so I call this girl and she asks what I'm up to. And I said, well, I'm just in between classes. (laughs) She says, oh, how many hours are you taking? And I had no idea what that meant. (laughs) But I had heard of a 40-hour work week. So I just said, usually about 42 hours, give or take. (laughs) That was not the right answer. Something else Clint talks about, which I thought was really insightful, is how he and his wife are handling their parenting duties during the pandemic. And of course, we do fun questions at the end. So let me bring on my man, Clint Joffreon. Joff, I'm really stoked to have you on, brother. Welcome. Man, thank you for having me. Appreciate it, man. I was thinking, I'm a weirdo in that I read magazines back to front. Is that how you read magazines or do you go front to back? No, no I go front to back. 
that's, that's interesting. I can't believe I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Well, I've started to skip around in books, too, where I'll start at the middle and then go to the front. There's a book called How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler, and he actually recommends going through a book and perusing it, actually going to the back and reading the end before you decide whether or not you're going to read the book. And he talks about marking it up and making your own indexes and everything. So I've completely changed the way that I read books. But on for magazines, I still go back to front. Now, I will say that uh, as of late, the books that I've been reading, they're all marked up. And uh, I kind of get, <laughs> I look at it by the end, I'm like, man, I'm really ruining this book because they're all earmarked. You know, especially the ones I've been reading lately uh, with a, that are real informative. But reading from the middle or starting from the back is something that's very strange to me. I don't, what, what do you, what do you get out of that? Like, what's the, what's the point? Well, I guess it's determining whether or not you're going to spend the next 17 hours of your life reading a book or not the next second 17 consecutively, right. but you're talking about a lot of invested time when you watch, when you read a book, sort of the same thing for watching a Netflix show. We just finished Ozark last night and it was 30 hours of my life. And when you think about that, it's like, wow. But I mean, the way I can accept it is we had some quality family time and it gave right. us something to talk about and something to do together. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Do you have a favorite book? That you've read recently? One that I've read recently that I've really marked up and took a lot. This is one of the first books I took a lot of notes on was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's by Dale Carnegie. And I've taken uh, a bunch of notes. I have my own little notebook dedicated to that one book. Uh, a lot of underlines in there. And the other one that, gosh, I really, really am enjoying is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I've even gotten to the point where the title... Uh, Talks about how he's a former FBI negotiator, the top FBI negotiator, but it really applies to everyday life. I think a lot of people can find a lot of benefit from that book. And, it, and it's one that you recommended to me a few years back. I think when I first got into sales and I'd never gotten to it. And then I just uh, came across it in my uh, save for later uh, bucket in my Amazon account. And uh, it's like, let me get into it. And then I couldn't put it down. He's part of this thing called Masterclass. I don't know if you saw the Masterclass app. But it offered different experts that will give you a class. You pay a subscription and, you know, like a yearly fee. And you can do, uh, and he's one of them, uh, teaches auto negotiation. I have seen that. It's about $180 a year. Yeah. And you can yeah. take classes from mm -hmm. masters in yeah. acting or Barbecuing, writing. Or, <laughs> yeah. Painting. So as long as I've known you, you've been a fan of the U.S. military. You're probably yeah. the biggest supporter of anybody that I know. Did you mention reading Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we've both read that book. But yeah, I can remember you watching SEAL stuff when we were in college. Mm -hmm. And that was before Navy SEALs were kind of mainstream. Right. Now right. they're interviewed on podcasts and they have their own shows and yeah. and write books all the time. I mean, even the guy who killed Bin Laden yeah. didn't... Book. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Whereas yeah. it used to be a, a little known thing to, to even know about their their buds camp or whatever it's called. right. The book extreme ownership was definitely uh, one that had a lasting impact on me just because of the principles that I was able to take from it and, and put toward my career. So you do think there are principles in the book that underlie the success of Navy SEALs that are applicable to the business world? Yes. I mean, from one, which from one, what you got to think about and what, what interests me more than anything with these guys is their mentality, their approach. These are, tactics and techniques that were forged in one of the probably one of the toughest battles that of our lifetime you know during the battle of Ramadi where these uh here I am applying it in business chances are I'm not going to die from it even though that these uh principles and tactics are battle tested they're very applicable to everyday life and and in my case in my career it probably has 
uh, given longevity to my career. Well, probably the quote that Jocko is most famous for, and I believe he wrote a book titled Discipline Equals Freedom, a field manual. That's, that's what mm-hmm. the book is called. A disciplined person, according to Jocko, is someone who does three things, wakes up early every day, works out every day, and studies or practices. He uses those terms interchangeably. Do you agree with him on what makes a disciplined person? Yeah, I agree. His big thing was discipline equals freedom because if you're disciplined enough to get up and do the things that you you need to do, you start early, you have the freedom to do things down the road. In his case, some of the guys that he respected, they got up very early. They hit the gym or went, went for a long run. That freedom was they had the freedom to study extra on tactics, maybe shoot a little extra or, you know, work on things that they thought that they needed to work. So that, that's where the freedom aspect of it came in. I did listen to a follow-up uh, podcast with him uh, regarding that, and that was a question that actually came in from the Internet. And that's why he basically said, you know, it, it's all relative to your situation. I mean, if you wake up at 8, get up early, you know, that's your, that's your early. You know, uh, Jocko says he'll tell you he can't sleep. He, he doesn't sleep well. I love it when I can get eight, nine hours of sleep. But I still think you can wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and, and do your thing and then just allow for freedom. I mean, that's to me, that's what it is. I mean, the guy he was talking to was a bouncer at a nightclub, so it didn't uh, it wasn't applicable to him. This guy would get in at 2 a.m., sleep till 11. So that so 11 a.m. was his 430 a.m. And he still made time for himself to uh, to go train in jujitsu like they both do. I totally agree with you, and I didn't expect you to say that, but I truly don't think it matters what time you wake up. We all have the same amount of time allotted to us each day. Exactly. If you're up at 4.30 a.m., congratulations. You yeah. chose different hours to sleep than I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you may have, I don't know if you follow Jocko on Twitter, but he, he held himself accountable. He would post a picture of his watch every morning when he woke up, you know? I mean, that's cool and all. 4.30 is not my thing unless I'm going hunting. <laughs> I've gotten more reading done in my life between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. than mm-hmm. most people read in their lives, I would think. And yeah. that would be like me posting a picture of my watch at 11.45 p.m. Right. So what? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, mean, I get energy at night. Yeah, yeah. I had sleepovers when I was a kid. And one guy in particular, Brett Bolello, uh-huh. who you know, I remember he used to get up at like 6.30 a.m. and start watching cartoons. <laughs> and I wouldn't get up until 8.30 a.m., well, he just naturally rose early. Yeah. And what do you know? I talked to him the other day and asked what time he gets up. And he's like, oh, well, I get up at you know 4 a.m. or something. And yeah. I'm like, of course you do. Right. Yeah. You've always been that way. Right? And it doesn't mean that he works any harder than I do. Exactly. At 1130, he's sleeping. So yeah. it just it yeah. just means nothing to me. Although I respect people who are highly motivated and can force this, themselves to do things that other people aren't willing to do. At the same time, I understand that, like, maybe you were born that way. So it just doesn't yeah. seem like something that should be bragged about. Like if somebody comes to me, this happened one time. I was at a technology conference and a guy comes up to me and says, what time did you get up this morning? And I said, 645. And he was like, you lazy fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> badass. I you know, guess. like, well, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you went to bed early and got up early. Right. I went to bed late and got up later. Yeah. You know, what is, who cares? <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, it's it's all, you know, what you get out of it. Look, a lot of times it's not easy, especially if you're trying to go to the, to the gym at 5 a.m. You got to get up 4.30. If it's cold, out, man, that's the last thing I want to do, honestly. <laughs> but I, I know the feeling I get when I'm done at 6. I think of it like the pain scale. So it's completely subjective. We don't know how hard it is for you to wake up in the morning. So right. how could that be something that you brag about? We don't know how much pain you can take unless we 
sat you next to someone else and clipped your toenails off like on Ozark at the same time. Gosh. (laughs) Right. And then we can see if you cry like a bitch or you don't. Or if you're getting shin splint massages in the training (laughs) room and when the guy next to you is laughing because it's so painful and another guy's crying. That is so true. And I do tend to laugh when I'm in pain. Yeah, you do. That's a very vivid memory I have. Both of us laying there next to each other and that's happening. You just like laugh. <laughs> and that is so painful. If you've never had shin splint massages, I remember Doc in the training room giving us a tongue depressor. Is that what they call them? Yeah. yeah. To, to chew on, to bite on while that's happening. I wish you'd have gave me a leather belt. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's where the term biting the bullet comes from. It was back in the Civil War days. They give them one of those, uh, you know, something hard to, to, to clamp down on. Well, probably while they're... Like sawing off a knee leg, yeah, yeah leg their legs amputated, amputated. jesus you know? so uh yeah i'd have been through that tongue depressor real quick yeah but the guy who's bragging because he got up early let's say he, he got six hours sleep versus the other guy who got seven and a half hours sleep right. well studies have shown that the guy who got six hours sleep has much less testosterone than the guy who's getting seven and a half so congrats yeah. bro like yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly good job on also studies have come out that those people who uh, who don't get that seven and a half to nine hours of sleep you know have uh, a reduced quality of life as well from uh, health issues you know they're more susceptible to uh, cardiac issues even some cancers how do you think baseball helped you be successful in life you learn how to handle failures because uh, just the way the game is, is played. You never want to accept failure, but you learn to learn from it and move on. You got to have a short memory. I got some, some sayings that were drilled into our head that I still use to this day. I mean, like what? Oh, man. Master the boredom of repetition. Uh, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. You know, those are the two biggest ones that I use daily. I mean, I don't, to me, it, like, like I'm on my way here. You're like, oh, you're early. And I'm like, eh, well, you know. That, that, that. You were an hour early. <laughs> I hadn't yet showered. <laughs> It bothers me when people ignore cliches or they mm-hmm. dismiss them because they are a cliche. Yeah. But there's so much truth in cliches. And if you opted instead to internalize those cliches, mm-hmm. you'd be a lot better off. And it sounds like you have because mm-hmm. you play those cliches over in your mind and it yeah. benefits you in yeah, life. It does. The only sport that I can think of where you would have to be more resilient possibly is playing defensive back in the NFL or at the college level where you're just getting burned and then you have to go up to the line of scrimmage again. I mean, you have to have a really short memory being a defensive back, Mm -hmm. but baseball helps you so much and your experience, especially, I mean, I can remember transferring into Nichols state university from a junior college and you were an outfielder that was already there. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what it was like to have a constant stream of, juco transfers coming in to try to take your job oh, and i was one of those guys yeah and you had to live with me <laughs> so, yeah well, you, i liked you brad <laughs> did you like me so much that you dressed as me for halloween when i you? did yes <laughs> uh, i hope there's a picture of that somewhere because uh that was that was classic man you know side falls shirt pants <laughs> what was your thought process how did you come what prompted you to want to dress as me for halloween what was your thinking oh man i don't know where that came from Maybe it was probably just a last-minute idea, and I was like, man, I just raid Bradley's closet, put some socks in my calves to make them big, walk around like a chicken, and uh, just smile and dance. So I know that your first job when you finished school was at MD Anderson in Houston, which is the number one hospital in the world for cancer treatment. I remember you telling me that one of the reasons you got out was because of what you had to witness every day. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Yeah, working at MD Anderson was 
a great place to start my career. I started out doing general nuclear medicine. PET CT is where I started kind of seeing what you just mentioned, kind of the things. You know, you have patients that come and they do a scan. Immediately I can see it's a good or bad. You know, and you can't tell them. They're asking you. They come in, and some of these people you get used to seeing on a regular, like every six months, and then all of a sudden they're not there. Uh, for instance, my you know my wife knew me before I started in MD Anderson, and of course she knew me afterwards. She's like, this place has changed you, and it's because you know people don't come back. You see people, you read their medical histories, and you see twenty five year old who noticed a dark spot on her shoulder, and now here she is, no hair prime of her life just 25 26 just married a couple months ago she came in beautiful girl we did her pet scan her original pet scan and then as you as she comes back for her follow-up scans starts losing the hair starts losing that shine you know and then you find out you read the medical history a couple months later she's she's you know she's gone she didn't make it i mean there's a few of them that that just uh, i replay in my mind a lot i mean and um because i've i've I'm still friends with one of the families today. They came to my wedding. You know, I had this guy who was coming in from Louisiana, uh, driving in for his appointments. You know, they come in and an older guy, he, he was known as the big Cajun. He was as Cajun as it comes from Bill Platt, but lived in Baton Rouge. Man, I could tell right away he was from deep South Louisiana, man. And uh, he's kind of a bigger fella. And so, and the PET CT scanner, um, you know, if you have patients who are over a certain weight, you got to kind of make some adjustments, slow the scan down. Well, some of them get claustrophobic. And this guy, I put him in, man, and he gets a holler. Hey, you got to get me out of here. You know, he's in, I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, I got, I, he's like, I can't take it. I can't take it. You know? So I pulled him out of the machine. Say, like, hey, look, let me, let me try something and it will get you through this right away. So I, go, I run out the room. I go start the machine and I'm standing in there talking to him. Next thing you know, the scan's finished. Probably in there 25 minutes. And he goes, man, what you did? And I I just, I didn't want to tell him that. It was just me talking to him that kind of made it go by faster. I didn't really change anything. I said, I put it on for, I put it on uh, the big Cajun speed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So he got through it. He kept coming back. And every time he'd come back, he'd ask for me to do a scan. And as he kept coming back, you know, I met his wife, his daughter. They'd bring me food. And God, I love that. Boudin, fresh boudin. They knew where to get it to. This guy was a legit Cajun, man. I mean, there was times we'd stay in there, and he, he'd go through his whole jambalaya recipe with me. Unfortunately, he ended up passing from his cancer. But, you know, like I said, I'm still good friends with his family. One of my f- favorite ladies was uh, the lady from right outside of Austin, a little town called Stevensville. She was a breast cancer patient. First time I scanned her, she was uh, she's probably in her mid fifties, but her and a group of her girlfriends were going to Vegas. And so I walked in, she goes, Oh yeah, we need a pool boy in Vegas. <laughs> I'm like, Oh gosh, here we go. And there, you know, she was another one. She'd asked for me, you know, to come back. And uh, unfortunately she didn't make it. And that was the part that was the toughest. And I think that ultimately led to me leaving. I think I handled it well, pretty much, but it, I guess I, I didn't notice the change in me. You see things different after you, you go through that. And, and what I went through is nothing compared to what those oncologists and those actual doctors go through. I mean, you know, they're, from, they're there from start to finish with these people. You learn to compartmentalize it. You put it away for another day because if you, if you dwell on it each day, you won't walk back through those doors. 
did that experience make you feel like you were more likely to get cancer yourself? Oh gosh, yeah. Well, I was working there every time I, you know, if I, I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, you get a pain somewhere, you know, that you never had before, and you're like, oh, you know, I need a scan. To this day, yeah, I'm still like that. I mean, because mm-hmm. I'm still working in oncology, I'm scared to death to get an X-ray. I don't want an incidental finding. You know, I mean, I don't want a CT because I don't want them, I don't want them to find this. You know, even though the earlier you catch it, the better. But you just always always in the back of your mind. I mean. From there, you transitioned into sales, correct? Yeah. So, well, actually, yeah. So, from when I left, uh, I left MD Anderson. Uh, my, my, uh, so because my wife and I, you know, she was my girlfriend at the time. Of course, we started dating. I moved back to be closer to her. I took a job in sales. One day, I just contacted a friend of mine that I worked with, and she was working for uh, my my first pharmaceutical company, and it. God, it was such a struggle. Though. I was so lucky because I was just sitting there. She put something on Instagram. She was flying somewhere in the territory. I was like, wow, looks like you're doing a lot of traveling. Uh, looks like you got a great gig going. Are y'all hiring? She texts me back. She goes, actually, we all get your resume in today. Got it in. Got hired at the beginning of the year. I got, and it, it was great timing because I got married uh, January of 14. And then the next week, I had my interview for that job because we had put off our honeymoon because I actually was applying for PA school. And I didn't get in. So I had that, we didn't have a honeymoon plan. I had that week open, did my interview, and that's how I got in the sale. And recently you were furloughed. What does it mean to be furloughed? Yeah, so um, I was furloughed due to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that's currently going on. And um, it's basically furloughed means that I'm on an unpaid leave of absence. So I'm still an employee. You're free to look for other work if you want? I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I got to look out for myself and my family, you know, I, so, so yeah, you could just keep your eyes out there. I mean, of course, I'd love to go back to the current job I have. I love what I'm doing. You know, it's also that, that self-preservation kicks in, you know, you got to look out, you know, and, and take care of yourself. And, I, you know, I got two kids where, you know, daycare is not cheap. And, and they say, you know, so there, there's a non-compete clause that, that, that we all sign, but Given the circumstances, they said they'll review it on each individual case, which I don't know, you know that'll even those non-competes even hold up in individual states because you, you, know, you have a right to work, you know. And your wife is working, right? Yes, she is. And uh, so we were both working at home at the beginning of all this, which was, well, again, I was forever an optimist. I thought this would be, you know, you can't get nothing done because of the house, especially uh, uh, a three and a half year old and a, a ten month old who just starts. At, at the time, he just started crawling. So he's mobile now. This is a game changer. You have to watch everything he does. I mean, you literally have to hover over because he's getting everything he sees that he's going to try and put in his mouth. Before that, you know, from like from birth to like eight or nine months, they just kind of sit there and eat. And that's cool. They don't move. You can put them in a little thing, strap them in, and they just kind of hang out, you know. But as, it was just a perfect mix of, of all kind of stuff, man. I mean, having the kids on, like the first week of this whole thing, well, we were both working from home. The kids were home. Was absolute shit show. You know, because here I am. I'm, try, I'm trying to work because I, I'm worried that if I don't meet my met, my daily metrics, that they're going to start seeing. Oh well, this is not working out. You know, we probably need to furlough you or get rid of you. My wife's having the same thing. You know, she has metrics that she has to meet, and my my office is upstairs, so I'm away from all the craziness that's going down downstairs for a certain amount. You know, it's driving my wife crazy. She can't get nothing done because her little desk was right there downstairs. And my kids are just, uh, 
you know, they need stuff, you know, I, I, and so, you know, the screen time thing goes out the window during a circumstance like this, you know, whatever keeps them quiet. I have to applaud, like, the employers. They, I think they were very lax. On those, they, they were very understanding on that. Because my wife had video calls where, you know, I, I know these people are seeing the kids in the background. You know, and that's pretty cool to see, though. I think a lot, I've been hearing that a lot. You know, employers are, are, have been very understanding about the at-homework situation. We had to get the kids on the schedule. You know, even something as simple as buying a timer that my daughter can understand. No, you can't have this until this time is up. And that's cool. And, and they, they go away, with, you know. And <laughs> Where are you in the Jordan documentary? Uh, episode three. Watched it last night, which I thought was interesting with the whole Dennis Rodman because there's a... a a line in the Wikipedia that says, it says here, Rodman has many brothers and sisters from the Wikipedia. According to his father, he has either 26 or 28 siblings on his father's side. However, Rodman himself, Rodman himself has stated that he is, that he is the oldest of a total of 47 children. Oh my goodness. You know, Miriam's mom is one of 14 kids. Her grandmother got married at age 14. And the grandfather was never around. Wow. And then her dad is one of 10 siblings. I mean, that's how they do it. Look, I, look, day. I know because my dad's one of 12. Are you serious? My dad's one of 12. Uh, my mom is one of eight. So I have a whole bunch of cousins. But like over 80. Like, I, I'm being honest. You might have married one, huh? No, I know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, we'll show up at Christmas and Thanksgiving and people show up. And I'm like, who are you? Like, <laughs> you know, either they've grown up since the last time I've seen them or they just haven't been around, you know, which is just totally plausible. Do you think we'll look back at this time and say, we were so materially obsessed that we didn't have more kids and... People will, th will think that we're stupid. Like in Idiocracy, have you seen that movie before? I've heard of it. Enough. So in the opening, there's a woman with three teeth on the phone. And she's on the phone with her doctor. And she says, Bobby D. Wayne, we got another one on the way. And she's like holding a baby. And there's seven screaming on the, on the floor. And then they cut away to a couple in Manhattan. And they're meeting with their financial advisor or something. They're sitting on the couch together, all prim and proper. And... And she says to the to the counselor, I guess, or the financial advisor, I just don't think we can have a child now with what the market is doing. And <laughs> it just goes to show you that the idiots are reproducing like crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I've never thought of it on that level. But, I mean, I remember thinking, uh, you know, well, after my daughter was born that I would be okay with having one child. Having another one is just as great. I mean, you want something, somebody that they can grow up with and – I needed somebody for her to play with so she could, you know, especially now. But we're so much more prosperous now that you actually probably could afford it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, there's stories of my dad and his brothers and sisters going going to work at an early age. I mean, they. so when I grew up in high school, my parents bought a car for me. I mean, a truck. You know, that would have never happened for them. Mm. They wanted a car. They had to go work for it, which I admire. And I never, you know, was one to, to pander my parents. Oh, I got to have a truck. It wasn't like that. I mean, they got my brother one, and then they just felt the need to buy me one. That's great. I appreciate it. But, yeah, we're much more prosperous. But do you think we're more happy? I, d I don't. I mean, I, I probably not. Well, judging by your stutter, I would say no. I don't think so, because 
No, I mean, we're just so... We're all more prosperous, but we also are... With the advent of, like, social media and the 24-hour news cycle, we're just bombarded with things constantly that even though we are prosperous, I, don't, I, th- I think we have more people who are depressed, more people unhappy. Yeah, it's crazy to think that for 99% of human history, you could you could become so bored because there wouldn't be access. Like, if you lived in the country, you wouldn't have television. You wouldn't have movies. You wouldn't have a phone you wouldn't have some some probably didn't have books and so what would they do and that's that's most of history Mm -hmm. this is only the last few years that we we have all the access to entertainment that we could possibly want right yeah it's incredible i mean can you imagine even when we were kids we couldn't sit down and watch whatever movie we wanted to watch on the spot Uh -uh, we had to come on vhs that took a while for the local walmart to get it and you had to rewind it before you brought it back to the store. Yeah, be kind, rewind. <laughs> I was born and raised, in, you know, down the bayou in Downsonville. We had the bayou on one side, had sugarcane fields that just surrounded my house. You know, I spent my time on a on a on a dirt bike, you know, with a pellet gun and a cane knife, just walking around, chopping shit, shooting shit. And you think that kid now is playing video games all day because oh, yeah. they're so good? I mean, it would be hard as a kid to resist playing video games with how good they are. You're telling me I've the played graphics. video games recently. Yeah, I mean, it's a true. goddamn movie. Yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> I think it only could get better. To think that you and I, remember, I mean, us in college, we were like the last ones before really mainstream internet. I mean, we, we had internet, but I mean, it was just coming about. You still get the things in the mail for minutes, and it took forever to download one song. You go to class, come back, it may have been downloaded before practice. You know, LimeWire. That's right. Like, my nephew thinks that's bizarre. I'll bet. It's fun to watch the Jordan documentary with my wife because she was, she's younger than us, as you know, considerably. And so she wasn't around when Jordan was dunking. They all think Kobe's the greatest thing. Right, right. (laughs) I would explain to her that the the few channels that we got, one of them was WGN. And so it gave me an opportunity to watch the Bulls. And when he was on, I couldn't move. And I was completely... immersed in everything that he did even if he was sitting on the bench i was watching jordan like seeing what jordan was doing because yeah. he, he had that charisma uh but you couldn't the fact that if you miss episode three you can just watch it on an app right. is incredible we can watch anything at any time yeah uh, but just to think how how somebody her age grew up is so different than how we grew up in college we didn't even have assignments on the internet right no, how, how nothing that, was on the how internet. Did that work? No, nothing. It wasn't proficient enough for you to, to accomplish anything. You but, you, but you're right. We were last yeah. for that. Yeah, we good. were the first. This is interesting, though. We were probably the first to get our stats on the internet, right? For baseball. Yes. Which so. made every at bat a little more. It gave it a little more meaning. Is how I thought about that yeah. because you knew that your stats were now going to live forever. If you were in the pros, of course, it's that way. Right. But the fact that your dad, my dad, who lived in another state, would know how I did in the ball game in real time that he wasn't at. That was, unless you were a big leaguer or something, you didn't have access to that. I just find that to be fascinating, too. No, and you bring up a good point. That's something I didn't really think about because, uh, of course, I didn't track my stats that much. Uh, <laughs> or I have a need to. But, uh, but, no, I mean, you're right. Like, for instance, my nephew... I walked in this when I was doing Nuke Med at the local hospital in Baton Rouge, and I was on call, and I had a pager. 
<laughs> like a beeper. Yeah. Like a beeper. I walk in. I'm in my scrubs. It's on my belt. He's like, what the hell? He goes, what is that? I said, that's a pager or a beeper. He goes, can you talk to it? And I'm like, no, man. <laughs> and then, then it hit me. I'm like, this kid, he doesn't know. He doesn't get it. No. And um, he goes, well, how does it work? I said, well, you got to call it and leave a number and I'll call you back. I mean, he's also the same kid who took the portable phone in his house, thought he could take it in his truck and use it. <laughs> different story. Uh, bless his heart. I remember on pagers, if it was your girlfriend or something, she might write 143 after her phone number. And that meant, I love you. Yeah. And the fact that you couldn't even write words seems so ridiculous. Yeah. Because I remember being in 10th grade, looking at my beep, my had a pager, and I would see that and I would be like, why is it impossible for us to send a written text if we can send right. numbers? That's yeah. so ridiculous to me. Yeah. And of course, I remember this too. When we were 19, 20, 21 years old, when texting start, first started happening, it was considered not cool to text with another dude. It was only something you did with, <laughs> with girls. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. I remember it being expensive too. Yes. You know, you go over a certain amount of uh, text and boom, they nail you. Yeah, I think my cell phone had maybe 100 minutes a month or yeah. something, which meant it was only for emergencies. And if yeah. you exceeded that, you were paying a big, big... Imagine if you put that restraint on a, a kid or somebody these days. How crazy that would be. Like, we were fine with that because that's all we knew. You know, uh, like 50 minutes on a cell phone at that time. was That's cool. I don't need that. If I need to call my... You know, I mean, what do I need that for? Yeah. You know, but nowadays, I think we might see a mass hysteria. Well, I used to go to Sam's Club and buy the cards with minute on, minutes yeah, on it. And that. once those expired, you couldn't use them anymore. But it gave you a restriction. So I had a girlfriend that lived out of town. Right. And so if I bought a card with 120 minutes on it, well, that meant we were having eight 15-minute conversations. <laughs> I do remember this. Oh, I just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, then that would add to the phone bill, the, the landline. Yeah. You know, so. Well, can you imagine that? Kids can be FaceTiming nowadays. Can oh, you imagine? My daughter does it all the time. FaceTiming with your girlfriend in college. That's stuff you only thought you'd see in a Jetsons, you know? I mean, literally, because, I mean, I think it's so bizarre now that, uh, you know, when my, my little girl goes stays at my mom's, they'll like, we'll FaceTime. I'm just like, it's nothing. But when you actually sit down and think about it, you know, if we were having this conversation in college, you'd be like, man, I don't know if it's ever possible, <laughs> you know? Well, there'd be a hologram, you know, uh, what is it, a hologram that they do now where they, the person is projected in front of you and makes it look real. Well, since we all turn to dust eventually, isn't there a chance that we're holograms? Good chance. I mean, it all depends on your perception of simulation theory. <laughs> they, yeah, I have heard of that. <laughs> haven't gotten down, I haven't gone down that wormhole, but I have, uh, I have heard about that. It'll be so interesting to see how this era is looked back upon. And we won't be around 100 years from now. But I truly think that they'll look back at the year 2000 or maybe look back at 9-11 as the start of this crazy technology boom. And we might still be on the front end of it. So I think that maybe in the year 2100, people are going to say, wow, you could have invested in technology companies from 20 to 2000 to 2050. Right. And anything you, you <laughs> bet on would have made a million dollars, right. you know, so. It's very possible we're at the start of this thing. I mean, just look at what Netflix and Zoom and all of those companies Amazon have done since the start of this pandemic. It just speaks to the value of technology and how 
integral it is to how we go about our daily living. Yeah, and it's very interesting to bring that up because I, I did take a peek at Netflix uh, well into this. I'm like, what? how come I just didn't think of that? You know, Netflix has 30% of all internet traffic at any time. Wow. 30% of the internet. That's a huge percentage. It's unbelievable. I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, why did I think of, oh, hey, look, everybody's going on lockdown. Why not invest in these streaming services? <laughs> Get in on that. Get in on it. Well, in right. hindsight, it's always crystal clear. <laughs> but but yeah. there's something that you and I are not thinking of right now that we should be. Yeah. What yeah. is it? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great question. It's almost because people discard things that they become valuable. Thinking back sure. to 1986, 1987 Fleer basketball cards. The reason they're so valuable now is because people didn't keep them and save them. There's not that many out there. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't mass produce them yet. Man, I was such a bit. I had football, baseball cards out the wazoo. But whatever it is that we're discarding now, like maybe our phones, yeah. if we don't keep them, maybe those will be valuable You don't keep someday. yours? Yes, my iPhones, ones. but I haven't kept the older ones. I didn't keep the, the flip old, phones. I, I keep the iPhones. So whatever we discarded, that's what's going to be worth money. I wish I had a flip phone, like my old. You go back in time. You don't like all the technology we have. If I could, I don't know. If I could just text and talk. Lately, it's been my uh, uh, Peloton app. So I've been using that one. Uh, you have a Peloton at home? Mm-hmm. Wow. How yeah, do you like it? Pretty amazing. It's it's awesome. So it's we have the bike. What uh, do you pay for that? I believe it's forty dollars a month. So you pay for the bike, which is, I think it was around uh, twenty eight. Hundred twenty nine hundred. So we got that. I got that from my uh, wife for Christmas. Uh, it's a good but gift. it's really for both of us because I use it a lot too. And I know that guy took a lot of heat on the Peloton commercial for buying his wife uh, <laughs> a Peloton. But uh, yeah, so it's really cool because it's not just cycling. I mean, the cycling aspect is amazing. They have live classes and they have on demand. But on the app, you can do yoga, meditation, stretching, strength classes, uh, running, walking. I even did something now where two of the so some of the instructors are former dancers, professional dancers, and um, they do uh, poles or like choreographed. No choreographed, not. <laughs> and so it's really cool. So there's a lot of things you can do. So when I travel, I would use that. And even if I couldn't find a hotel that had a Peloton, I would get on the treadmill and do one of their runs, even though it wasn't a Peloton treadmill because they had the Peloton treadmill. I think they even have a roar a roller machine now that you can buy. Um, but I've used the uh, meditation. I know you are big into meditation, and it's something that I'm just kind of inching into. But I've done it a few times, and it's really cool. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's really uh, – it definitely helps. I mean, to kind of hit the reset button and draw your attention away from everything on the outside, and uh, it's really, really helpful. But uh, So that one I use a lot. Twitter. I like Twitter because I can get up to the minute news from different sources and different people. It doesn't all have to come from, like, the major ones. You know how much time you have to spend on Twitter to gain a big following? Unless you were famous beforehand. Right. But there are some people who just tweet nonstop. So what I've been doing lately is bookmarking a lot of things. So I will devote some of my reading time to just going through the articles and things that I've saved on Twitter. Or like when somebody asks, what is the best blog article you've read lately? Or what is the best speech commencement speech you've heard in the last six months and people will just post like if they have a big following you'll get 86 or 700 suggestions and then i can spend an hour at night just going through those so twitter is definitely my favorite app and it is addicting but i don't have a large following yeah and i i I found that i was spending a lot of time on my phone when i travel 
of course, I'm, I have no distractions, you know, I don't have to attend the kids or anything when I was traveling, but it got to the point where I was just like, God, I got to get away from this thing. You know, mm-hmm. I got to put it down. It's, I get, I, I can't stay on it too long at, at one time. My wife can do it. like scroll for days. And one thing I always wonder when I'm scrolling through there, you know, Facebook or Twitter is like, how long could you scroll? Like, is, is it finite? Or is it, I mean, how do you, how are these things set up? Like, how far back could you? Has anybody done it? I know you... I think the joke is, after being in quarantine for three days, I found the end of Instagram. And the joke is, no, it's just like the internet. Okay. You can't find the end of it. I was about to say, you found it. I'm like, oh, wow. I, I think <laughs> that's uh, what a rabbit hole is, is the fact that you don't ever get to the end of that hole. I could be wrong. I mean... Are there ends to rabbit holes? I don't know. I've been down a few, but never met the end. Um, yeah, I wonder, like, when the creators had this in mind and when they program it and all that, is is there a, a end where it doesn't... Well, one thing I'm surprised by is why does Instagram tell you that you've reached where you were previously, which would encourage you to exit out of the app? True. Why do they do that? I thought the whole idea was to keep your eyeballs on the app as long as possible. Yeah. But you've just told me that I've reached the point where I was. Yeah. I don't understand that. No, that's interesting. I, I did. I did realize. Uh, see where Instagram took away the number of. This happened a while back, but the number of like you can't see physically see the number of likes people have on your particular post. Like you can see uh, it, but I can't. See, it just says like so and so and others. Like your post. Oh, and you couldn't click that to see who liked my stuff? I, don't, I just know when, like, if I post something and I, it says Brantley and others liked it, I can see the numbers. But I don't think if I clicked on yours, if I can. I'm not sure. I'll, like, click it online. I was thinking the other day how many relationships have been ruined because someone, a significant other, has liked a selfie of someone else. And you used to be able to go and see what your significant other liked. Well, you can't see oh, yeah, that anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's crazy to think how your whole life can turn on a decision. Like, I had a girlfriend for six years and broke up with her because of something that she was doing that I didn't approve of. Yeah. And it was because of something technology-related. And, I mean, there were other factors, but that decision in that moment was changed the course of my life. It changed the course of somebody else's life. That's wild, yeah. Kids were born. Yeah, exactly. It's just nuts. That's true. All that can happen at one point in your life. It's the old, uh, what was that movie with Ashton Kutcher, The Butterfly Effect? Yep. Where it has to do with a butterfly's wings flapping and the wind is affected by the the (sighs) butterfly's wings, which could, how does that work? It could affect. Have a domino effect on. Yeah, and. Yeah, on everything else. Currents in the Atlantic Ocean, which would drown someone. Which, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. So I can't see the number of likes. Only you can see the number of likes on your post. Oh, is that right? One thing I have noticed about Instagram, if you click on someone random, the likelihood that they would have thousands of followers is very high. I think the proportion of Instagram accounts that have more than, let's say, 5,000 followers is probably like 10, 20% or something. And I don't think they would benefit from letting people know that because it's held up as 
a good thing to have a lot of Instagram followers, but I don't think it's that valuable. I, th- I think that a lot of people have a lot of Instagram followers. Yeah, I know. I would agree. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I've seen that before where you're like, man, how people get so many followers? I mean, what? Very average looking women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can 6, see like. followers. Yeah. I mean, I can see like athletes and things, but just, yeah. I mean, what are they doing? I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I, I'm more in tune to the Instagram now that you're heavily involved on it. Oh, know, just because, you know, the live feeds and all the stuff you do on it. I'm like, man, it's, it takes a certain understanding to be able to pull stuff like that off. Like, you know, so that, that's pretty neat to see all that the, the different stuff y'all do. So one thing about thank you. One thing about social networks that's interesting is that people don't want to be on the same social network as their parents. And Facebook acquired Instagram for a billion dollars. Speaking of investing in technology, there's going to be a social networking app that the next generation is going to use. And probably somebody like Zuckerberg is going to try to acquire that social network. Mm -hmm. But people, young people got off of Facebook because they didn't want to be where their grandparents were. Right. Then there's Instagram. Well, People who are my wife's age are going to start having kids, and those kids are not going to want to be on the app with Lady Overseas, right? (laughs) Right? Yeah. No, you bring up a good point because I, uh, my mom always says, "Oh, I need to get on." uh," You know, she always says, "So and so, your aunt showed me a picture of you from Facebook. You didn't send it to me." And you know, all that. She's like, "I'm gonna have to get a a Facebook." I'm like, "No, no, (laughs) you don't need it. It's fine. I'll send you pictures." Well, she just got an Instagram account. And she hadn't done anything on it, but I'm just like, no. Because <laughs> a few of her sisters are on it, and her, a few of her sisters brag about how they've been in Facebook jail. Because they just, no filters, getting into political discussions with people. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Well, my mom's on there every day, every hour, every minute. <laughs> well, I know. I see her tag you and stuff. <laughs> yeah. She does that because I don't have access to her feed. I don't follow her because otherwise about seven Seven and a half minutes of each day would be consumed with seeing my mom's posts. Oh, that's funny. I do laugh when I see her tagging some stuff, though. I can't bring up any particular example, but I know a few times I've chuckled. Yeah. So that's kind of, yes, that is interesting. Um, you do, y'all don't do anything on TikTok. I avoid that because I well, there's talk don't of, trust it. Right. There's talk of TikTok being Chinese the next spyware. social app if they can figure it out. Because you're right. That is where young people are flocking nowadays. But, yeah, you don't want the CCP having access <laughs> right. to all your data. That's, that's actually why I haven't downloaded I don't, yeah, it. I don't, I don't need to dance on any video anyway, but I know you as, as having a brand and having to get it and promote it and get out there. I do remember reading about that, how it's, uh, it's basically Chinese spyware. Let's talk about personal finance and how you save and invest your money. You sent me a text, was it last week? Yep. About a car purchase that you didn't make. For listeners, can you tell me what you said? Because I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, a few years ago, uh, I was contemplating uh, getting rid of my current vehicle and getting uh, an Audi A7. And I remember, uh, I think that's one you you had one, right? It was A7? I did, yeah. And um, it was a used one, but it was still a substantial price tag. And, uh, you know, at that time, I remember you and I just having some conversations prior to that. And then you... uh, I trusted your financial advice and, 
So I, I called you to see to get your thoughts on it. I remember you saying that, uh, you know, to start thinking about my my net worth, and that if you didn't have to have it, avoid getting it, and uh, and just pay off you know your, your your vehicle. And I'm and I'm so glad that I listened to that because here I am. I'm furloughed from my job and um, you know on unpaid leave, and now both my cars are paid off. It's the first thing I thought of when the furlough came was. Okay, what what's gonna be my main where my my, my main bill is gonna be? Of course, my mortgage, daycare. Then I thought of, I was like, man, I'm so glad I don't have to pay a car note because I'd still be paying on that car if I would have bought it. And that's when that, that conversation that you and I had it just resonates because uh, that was huge, man. I mean, I'm glad I avoided it, and uh, you know, because I didn't need it. Uh, looking back, I didn't even. I mean, yeah, but look, I got nothing. That, that thing drove like. Butter. I mean, it was. It had all the bells and whistles. It had about thirty thousand miles on it, and oh man, I melted in that seat when I got in it and drove it. But uh, you know, looking back, uh, I'm, I was, and that's why I felt the need to. I figured you'd appreciate it when I when I sent you that text because, it, like I said, that conversation just resonates. So you're living on one income now. Yes, we're living on my wife's income. Has there been a reduction in spending in your household? Oh yeah, yeah, big time. Uh, both the credit cards are paid off. And we're trying to not use those at all. I found out I was furloughed. I was still expecting one more paycheck. And so what I did immediately was discontinue the 401k draw from those checks just to have more cash available to us. But it helped. I mean, any little bit helps at this time, you know, right now. And, and But, you know, the good thing is, is that being in this type of industry that I'm in, and you always have in the back of your mind, okay, you could be laid off Never would I thought that it would have been because of a pandemic. We've always been conscious of saving. I wanted to get my emergency fund up to a, a certain amount. You know, I had a baseline where I want. You know, I had some tiers that I wanted to get to. Like six months of expenses. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah, more because I just didn't know. I mean, I, I just I wanted to be worst case scenario. Of course, you always want more, but I'm comfortable with where we're at for the time that I need it. You know, so right now I'm furloughed, you know, for about two and a half months and we're fine with that. What percentage of your income were you saving prior to being furloughed? Uh, I was trying to stay around 15 to 18%. All right, let's do some fun questions. Ready? Yeah. All right. What is the coolest gift you've ever received? Oh man, that's funny you bring that up because it's probably my most recent uh, birthday gift. So I turned 40 in quarantine, um, which was interesting. So my wife... Uh, got together a, a group of my friends and did a video tribute. So that was by far one of the the coolest gift I've ever gotten. So everybody, uh, she reached out to him, provided him a link. Uh, you record your own videos. You did one yourself. I'm greatly appreciative of that. Appreciate that. Um, uh, and so you, you do a little video clip and you get to see every, what everybody thinks about you. I mean, it could be a roast. It could be a toast. You know, it's whatever you want. Uh, everybody kept it pretty, pretty, uh, pretty clean on this one. Um, but I'm sure if you wanted to, except me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for the majority of it, it was it was clean. But you know, it's one of those gifts that you could just fall back on. And during that time, honestly, man, turning forty during that time, I was in the dumps, man. I mean, because you don't know how long this is gonna last. I mean, you're just told that you're, you know, you gotta have your kids for an, a long time. Like you don't know an endpoint. That was probably the biggest part. But uh, so that that video really kind of turned my my mindset around. It was very well timed. I mean, it was so that that's one that uh, if you need any gift ideas for like a bird, like a fortieth birthday or just a milestone birthday, do it. 
It's a good point you make about not knowing when it's going to end mm-hmm. the lockdown. Yeah. It reminds me of when we were playing college ball and you would have conditioning practice, which is when you just show up to the field and coach tells you to run until it's time to stop. When you don't know when you get to stop running, yeah. it makes it so much worse. Yeah, anxiety just shoots out the roof. It happens in Juco ball a lot. You know, they have a, b- a bad reputation of running you to death, right. whereas at D1 schools, they don't make you run at quite as much. But for punishment, you just have to run. So if you have a shitty game yeah. and coach decides that the team's going to run as soon as you get back to school from wherever you're playing, he doesn't tell you when you get to stop. You're just no. running your tail off, and it sucks. Yeah, so and, yeah and that's where the, the, the anxiety is real, and, that, and it, it could be crippling. I mean, it's not so much the physical aspect. As long as you keep moving, I mean, you should be fine. But that anxiety, is, is especially if you're like on a bus ride, and it's like, oh, when we get back, we're doing – tarp duty to i tell you to stop <laughs> which we may have done before once or twice i don't know even when it was not raining <laughs> that's where that the the issue lies is the anxiety oh man oh does this gonna go yeah i'm hungry <laughs> yeah tarp duty is when coach decides that everybody has to report to the field usually at 6 a.m yeah and you pull the tarp on the field because it's expected to rain that day Half the time, it is futile because it doesn't end up raining because meteorologists are wrong all the time. But even if there was a 20% chance of rain, we're getting out of bed at 545 so that we can go put the tarp on the field. It sucks. Yeah. And it ruins your whole day. Oh, right? you're done. Like, you got to get a nap in somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, next question. When is the last time you drank a guy's piss? <laughs> Well, I thought you were going to use that one. Oh, man. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's out there now. We had our Gatorade bottles, and I had a, that, that particular night I had an orange Gatorade that I drank, and I left it on the dining room, uh, well, no, in the living room coffee table, and went to bed and woke up thirsty, probably from a night of drinking, a little dehydrated, and my orange Gatorade's still sitting there, although it looked a little bit uh, watered down. I didn't pay no attention to it. Either you walked in and caught me in mid-sip or you saw that the bottle was empty and you're like, dude, did you just drink that? It's like, yeah, why? Well, I was a little watered down and you're like, well, I woke up in the middle of the night and took a leak in it because I didn't want to go through your room and go to the bathroom and wake you up. Yeah, I was in old shotgun house and the bathroom was between you and Ori's room. Yep. And so in order to get there... I had to go through one of your rooms, and I usually went through your room because it was closer. But out of respect for you that night, I didn't want to wake you up. I decided to pee in the bottle, and sure enough, yeah, Joff drank my piss the next morning. <laughs> yeah. The porch was wide open. I don't know what was the deal with that, but you just saw that fresh Gatorade needed to be filled. Maybe I was done with it, considering it was halfway completed. Well, I, yeah. I reckon I had maybe done a little bit of drinking, too. I don't know. But, yeah, usually no, we, would you just, did. we would just go off the front porch. <laughs> but I didn't want to leave the house. Maybe it was cold outside that night. I'll give you that. Okay, next question. If you could replace all the grass in the world with something else, what would it be? Oh, uh, gosh, now that I'm a colored turf. If someone dropped a million dollars in your lap tomorrow, what would you do with it? I would pay off my house just to get rid of that. Good decision. Um, and then the rest of it, I, I would take a percentage of it and, uh, and do some, some solid investing, maybe do some real estate investing with maybe a portion of it. I would definitely squeeze in some kind of vacation there with the wife and I, just 
one that where I could go all out and not really have to worry about it. Mm. You know, make like it maybe take some time off, travel the world a little bit. You mm. know, stay uh, stay in some Airbnb Airbnbs for a month. That type of stuff. I I, I want to spend it on some experiences. Of course, I would put some aside. You know, like I said, for savings and maybe my kids' college uh, portion of it, or but a lot of uh, the rest of it would be spent on experiences. If you want a trip to the moon, meaning you didn't have to pay for it, but you had to be gone for four months, would you go? No. Not, not at this time. Because of your kids? Because of my kids. And, uh, during that stage of the life they're in, this is, the, this is uh, you know, uh, an awesome part, but it's also the most trying part. But I don't know when would be a good time if you take kids into consideration because, you know, they get into that stage where they're uh, teenagers and you kind of want to be in that here as well, you know. So I don't know when would be a good time. There was a study done by Daniel Kahneman who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. The researchers asked 900 women in Texas how happy they were while doing each of their daily activities. And that included work and housework and relaxing and taking care of kids. And their findings revealed that taking care of kids was overall a pretty low point in terms of daily happiness. In fact, of the 16 daily activities these women rated taking care of kids was rated as mo it was rated more enjoyable than only three activities which were doing housework working and commuting and so the conclusion of the study or, or at least what i got from it is that things that bring happiness are different from things that bring meaning and so Part of the experience of raising kids, especially younger than five, because this study also showed that between the ages of like six and being a teen is when it's easiest on the parents. Uh, but that it doesn't less necessarily bring happiness. Certainly there are more joys to parenting than someone like me who doesn't have kids. You probably have more highs in your life. Mm -hmm but you also have more lows because they're throwing up in the middle of the night or whatever it is. But that's not really why you do it. It's not for the happiness. It's mm -hmm. for the meaning. Right. Is that, yeah, does that resonate? Yeah. And that, look, I would agree with that survey because I mean, just from my experience here, I mean, uh, if you would have told me, uh, yeah, you're going to have two kids and you're going to be quarantined in your house for a month or two without any, uh, you know, any help from family or anything, no daycare. And, you don't know how long it's going to take, you know, how long you're going to be there. I'm like, you crazy. Because look, I mean, it was, it's tough. I mean, you, you had in the stress of the furlough, us not knowing what's going on, how long this is going to be. I mean, it's, it had an effect. I mean, it was some times where it was like, we're not going to last. You know, my wife and I are at each other's door. She's trying to work. She's stressed because she's, she's got things she's got to get done to try and avoid being let go. And then the kids pick up on that. You notice a change in the kids. You know, well, it's not my youngest, but my my, uh, my little girl. You start noticing changes with them, too, you know, and it's like, whoa, we got to pull this back. And what was comforting is that I've talked to other people who are going through the same thing, and we want, we're not alone. It's good to know that we're not the only ones having trouble with this. The activities that rated more enjoyable than taking care of kids included watching television, eating, relaxing, exercise, <laughs> And having sex. So, yeah, I would agree. Interesting. But yeah. you and I have always been able to talk about everything. So when mm -hmm. you come to Houston quite a bit and we have dinner, 
we're able to talk about our relationships and you tell me about mm -hmm. your raising kids experience and we gain from that because you're right although i can't relate to having kids you do get a lot out of talking to friends and realizing that a lot of people are going through the same thing and even if you know you might tell me a, an issue that you're having with your kid and i might say oh my buddy byron has mm -hmm. a similar problem right. and then you're like oh i'm not the only one going through that so yeah. you're absolutely right so it's so helpful to have friends that you can be candid with right yeah, I mean, you get fresh perspective, and like I said, you get that reassurance that you're not the only one who's screwing this up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who do you think Joe Biden will choose as his VP? With all this going on, I forgot about old Joe. Um, He's in a basement. Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, that's a good question. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know if I can answer that. Who do you think? You got any ideas? I mean, you. you well, he's already said that he's going to choose a woman. Which is so interesting because ideally you would say that you're going to choose the best qualified candidate and right. then choose a woman. Elizabeth Warren comes to mind, but you got to think, I mean, if if she bowed out, do you bring somebody back into the picture like that? I mean, are, were people uh, had enough of her or, you know, is there somebody lurking in some young gun lurking in the background that he's, you know, going to bring up to get their name out there and kind of groom them? What has been your favorite part of this podcast? Man, just seeing you uh, and Miriam and your mom. Hadn't seen your mom in a while uh, and just uh, getting into another city. It's been a while since I've gotten out, but, uh, you know, just carrying on like we do. I mean, this is this is the only thing different is that we got microphones and electronics in front of us. You know, I'm always texting you when you're going to be in Houston and it's never. And <laughs> and then all this happens and my travel shut down. And uh, but no, this is a perfect way to to get back and, uh, and have a little chat. Yeah, it's awesome. It's been great. Cool. How can people find you online? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Clint Joffreon. Uh, on Instagram, uh, CA Joffreon. Uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me, uh, Clint Joffreon, uh, on LinkedIn, which is, you can contact me directly on LinkedIn. I've, I've been working with a few uh, fellow nuclear techs who are interested in the sales business and who want uh, some kind of advice on how they can get in. Hit me up. Happy to help. Sounds good. Appreciate you being here for Yeah, day. thanks a lot, man. Enjoyed it. Friends, I appreciate you joining us today. If you like the episode, please send it to a friend. Otherwise, join us next time. Thank you for being here. What is it that you wish that you had said that you didn't say? Oh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I wish I could have answered your Joe Biden question a little bit better. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I haven't looked at the news or paid attention to any politics in so long. Other than that, my TV's on Netflix watching Little Baby Bum for my kids or Trolls. The second trolls, that's all we watch. And when the TVs go off, I'm usually sleeping.